and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my wonderful co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? There are monkeys that, that live in trees. Indeed, that is a true fact. Uh, today we are going to go and answer more of your questions. Uh, some that we didn't get to last week, and some new ones that came in this week. So thank you very much for sending those in. Uh, as always, if you have questions for the podcast, send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com, uh, or you can send them to us in our Discord server. We have a patron uh, questions and, and queue podcast channel that you can throw them in, as well as a questions for the queue, which we do look at as well, uh, if you are not a patron. Uh, first up comes from Aless. Uh, Alessov, the Belf Pally. Uh, what's up with Azeroth's moons? Not asking about Elune, we've been talking about her quite enough lately, but the actual physical moons. Since Azeroth is a titan, are they part of her? Has anyone ever gone to the moons? I would love a space-themed expansion where goblin rockets take me and sexy daddy Khadgar to the moons. Uh, I don't know if we really talked more about the moons aside from the accidental, like, Disappearance of one of the two moons and then the returning of the blue child, but I mean, they don't really, really, they haven't really talked about the moons, have they? Not particularly. Also, if you want goblin rockets to take you to space, you're going to die because goblins are terrible engineers and all their stuff blows up. This is canonical, so you're gonna die. You and Cadgar are gonna die. Well, he'll probably get away, but you're gonna die. I'm just wanna... again. This is this is the thing. The the longer that they go without Kajamite, which they don't currently have access to, the more their stuff explodes. That's that. This is in the game. Uh, you get on a goblin rocket to anywhere. You are literally willingly stepping onto a death trap. I feel like this really needs to be emphasized. Um, as for the two moons, we know that the first moon is called the White Lady. This is the one that the night elves consider to be a loon, and the uh, Tauren call Musha, and they can the Tauren call it sorrow of the earth mother that's in the uh the myth the sorrow of the earth mother myth they talk about musha and anshe the moon and the sun uh, that's the moon they're talking about that's the moon they call musha the white lady uh the other moon which is smaller it's a cool blue greenish moon i think blue green or blue greenish um the blue I, child that one's called the blue child or just blue child that one as as joe already pointed out when they first put the moons into azeroth in world of warcraft they they've I don't know if they forgot or there was a rendering error or the skybox didn't work right or whatever, but they did not have the blue child, but it's been back in the game for years. Um, I'm trying to think exactly when it came back. Uh, well, I'll check out this article written by somebody named Allison Robert on Engadget. Uh, hi, Allie. <laughs> um, yeah. So back in 2012, they, they brought the blue child back. So site you know site you may have heard of called Engadget seems to have that article I don't know how they got it but who knows um, but yeah uh, I don't think there's there's not really a ton of lore about them like we've never been to them there's no there's there's a connection to things like the moonkin and you know Elune herself uh, but they don't there's there's no in my experience going through the game and going through various other sources there's no, like we've never been there. No, not only that, we haven't really seen another Titan planet, really. So we have no idea if they have moons as well. If it's just a natural occurrence of well, well being we know a that Draenor has a moon. Draenor, like Draenor, right, actually like has Draenor two has... moons. Draenor has what they call the Pale Lady, and it's got a smaller moon uh, that we don't know much about. I don't even think the other one has a name. But we know that Draenor has two moons as well. And one's called the Pale Lady. I don't know why. Everyone calls their moons the Blank Lady. I, I don't, you know, if you go to some other world, and oh, yeah, this is our moon, the Fat Lady. Why do you call her that? Because she sings. Uh, I don't know. Um, but nevertheless, moons. Yeah, I was going to say, and we really haven't done a whole lot with it, like in Gamer or anything like that, as far as. Anything outside of a loon, basically the entire focus has been there. But it does tie into something that I think we talked about a little bit before, where we're talking about the whole joy of exploration. 
and something like that where we're going off into the the twisting nether, the, the the blackness between worlds and discovering what's out there could be a lot of fun since we didn't really get to do that in Legion uh, since there was sort of like this whole weird magical wormhole thing going on. So, but yeah, who knows? We might get more of that stuff. I know in the Draenor history there was something about like moon rocks falling down and then being important to some of the orcs and but not really on Azeroth so who knows maybe we'll get something in the future maybe not maybe we won't go to the moon but if we do and it's on a goblin rocket like Matt said we're probably going to die all right uh, our next question hello Matt and Joe I've enjoyed listening to the two of you and Anne hi Anne for the last few years and wanted to share my theory about Illidan the Titans and Sargeras Titans are the consummate builders and chose the right tool for the job. The job at hand, how to deal with Sargeras. The right tool, Illidan. Demon hunters exist to consume fell energy, which is anathema to the Titans. I propose that Illidan is there to consume the fell that is infusing Sargeras, thus rendering him back into being uh, that can be handled by the Pantheon in the long run. Thanks for the great conversations, uh, Doc. So what do you think? I don't know why he thinks that demon hunters exist to consume fell. I don't recall that being any part of demon hunter lore. I think it's they, going off the idea that they consume demons. They specifically eat a demon, but that's not to consume the fell. That's to make themselves part of the thing that they ate. And we, as a result, I mean, even if we know that Illidan didn't do that, he used the skull of Gul'dan instead. Um, and also, Illidan's eyes were created by Sargeras. Those those seething demonic orbs in Illidan's skull, Sargeras made those. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a hard time believing Sargeras would make something that could drain him. Yeah, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. kind of in that same that same boat because it, it's it's sort of a stretch, right? It's a stretch to say that demon hunters are there to consume fell. That's, yeah, that's. Now that's not not that's not to say that maybe Illidan in all of his years hasn't figured out how to drain fell out of something, but there's go ahead. And fell hunters do that. Yeah. Fell hunters absorb fell. I mean, you're gonna say they could have just put a fell hunter in there and that could have taken care of Sargeras like any split. Sure, Illidan is really skilled, but Sargeras is Sargeras. I don't. I have never understood what Illidan's role in this is because Sargeras is Sargeras. It'd be like saying that I'm going to get in a cage with a Bengal tiger and I'm going to occupy it. Like, I'll occupy it for three seconds, then it will kill me because it's a Bengal tiger and I am not. Uh, I I don't. This has been my problem with this from the beginning. I don't understand how Sargeras is anything more than a speck to be stomped on by Sargeras. Uh, but but apparently he is in fact doing something in there. Maybe you're right. I don't know, man. But I don't. I, it just doesn't. It doesn't hit me as like tremendously something that I immediately would go to. But it's you know I don't know. I, I don't know what else he's doing there. So yeah, and that that's always been a question that I've had as well. Is with the Titans weakened, what purpose would Sargeras possibly have, or what what purpose would Illidan have? to be there to help against Sargeras. Like, we know that Sargeras got pulled back, but he wasn't weakened unless we're saying that a piece of him was left behind in that sword, which entirely possible, and maybe he voluntarily weakened himself. But it's just one of those things, like, what is that all supposed to do? And it also confused me because if Sargeras is relatively untouched and all of the Pantheon has been tortured in that weakened position for how long now? Eons at this point? Like, how many thousands well, of A&R years? Well, a wasn't. Well, she was still weakened. She was still recovering. She wasn't, she wasn't being tortured. Fair. But she was still recovering. So even with even with A&R, is A&R enough at that point? I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I want to know kind of what Illidan is actually doing in there, what's happening in there, even if it's just like a vignette or a short story or something that explains what's going on. I'd like something. The, also, that fact that they are using the power of Argus, the world soul of Argus, they used that to pull him back in the first place. So they didn't even use their own power. They used Argus's power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't... 
I honestly, I straight up don't really understand the end of Legion. Uh, I understand the broad strokes of it, but in a lot of ways, the end of Legion makes significantly less sense than the end of Battle for Azeroth, which at least is comprehensible. If you sit back and look at what's going on in, in, in Battle for Azeroth, the end of it is perfectly logical and consistent with what's been going on before. Whereas the end of Legion is suddenly the Titans do a thing. Huh? Like, you guys haven't been doing a thing this entire expansion. What, why are you even here? Like, you know, if you, if you didn't raid Antorus, you would have no concept of what was going on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you might, you, you'd know that Agrimar was involved because he shows up. But everybody else, you'd be like, huh? Wait, what, what? What? When were they involved? How are they even here? I thought that their spirits went into the Titan Keepers. And, yeah. And there's just no explanation. And and I know people love Legion. And I am one of those people. I had a great time with Legion. I thought it was a great expansion. But let me be completely fair to it here. It does not waste a lot of time explaining what's going on. No, it's just kind of like, all go from the very, very start. Yeah. And Antorus in particular is one of those examples where they're just like, yeah, Titans, go with it. Um, so as to what Illidan is doing there, I mean, maybe you've hit on it. it it's possible that that's what he's there for. I mean, he showed he showed in, in Legion, they showed that, that, he, that in the past, Illidan was so talented that he could draw arcane magic out of the people he was with. So maybe... Like he was, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe he can convert that with Fel, right? Yeah, maybe he can do that. I it's not ever really been stated, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means it's not something they've really talked about a lot with him. I mean, obviously he pulled the power out of the skull of Gul'dan. That's how he turned into what he is now. Um I mean, but Illidan Illidan doesn't have to follow your standard demon hunter rules. Those those demon hunters were made by a process he came up with. He does things his own way. It's not he, he, these are Illidan things, not Demon Hunter things. Mm -hmm. So even if we we don't accept that Demon Hunters just absorb Fell, and to my knowledge they don't. I mean they have Fell in them because they've again they've consumed a demon, but it isn't quite the same thing. But Illidan didn't do that anyway. Illidan did something completely different. Illidan is his own little his own special beast. So yeah, it's it's like comparing the Lich King to a Death Knight. You know, like Arthas was a death knight. The Lich King is not. The Lich King is something completely different. Uh, it's similar in that fashion. Ill Illidan is to de demon hunters what Arthas was to death knights. An inspiration? Yes, absolutely. Somebody that we, you know, they look at and pattern themselves after? Yeah, but not the same. And I would definitely argue that Illidan is not the same as a demon hunter. Or he's like demon hunter plus, I guess you could say. He's like, he's like, he is to demon hunters as demon hunters are to, I don't know, just regular old blood elves. I mean, night elves or both since it's blood elf and night elf demon hunters. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel really strange thinking about this because I, I already don't understand what's going on in there in the first place. Yeah. And I think that, like I said, I, I want, I want, it's one of the few things I really do want some clarification on or at least something to kind of, you know, understand what happened there and what is going on. Because like you said, for all of Legion's gloriousness, and it was a, gr I love the expansion. I think it was fantastic for the most part. It, it, there is a whole lot of like, just go and not a whole lot of stop and feel like, here's what's happening. And the ending is no exception to that. Like, we have no idea what's going on there. We have no idea why it's there. Even, even in his final, like, movie guy moments when he looks back at the screen before walking in back into the the seat of the uh the, the pantheon he doesn't explain anything he just goes i have to do this okay cool why what what are you going to do it could be that he's in there literally punching sargeras in the face to keep him so distracted that he can't summon up enough power to break free from the other titans i don't know I, I honestly have no idea what he's doing there, but that could be one possibility. He could be, as you're saying, draw, drawing enough fell out of Sargeras that he can't use it to break free. Mm -hmm. That's another possibility. I mean, it's not something I've seen him do before, but it doesn't mean... It, it's quite possible he has done it somewhere, and I'm just not remembering. 
I don't have a perfect memory and it's been a heck of a month. Um, there's a lot of possibilities here. I just can't say what they are. I mean, cause like I said, if you didn't like the Titans don't make an appearance in the expansion until you hit Antorus. And I mean, we got the various pillars of creation that are linked to the Titans, but that has nothing to do with the Titans showing up. It's not like we summoned them with those. Uh, they were in fact in Antorus the whole time and we didn't know it except for Ianar, who was off on another planet named Elunaria, which is one of those things where, okay, why Again, is the planet yep. Ianar is on named after Elune? Um, could someone explain how Elune is connected to the Pantheon, please? No, we're not going to? Okay. I mean, at this point, we know that, that one of the pillars of creation, which were created by the Titans, is named the Tear of Elune. Uh, why is it not named after Anor? Why is it is uh, why is Anor on a planet named Elunaria? Like, is Anor a loon? Is is Anor related to a loon? Is loon related to Anor? You got anything for me here, game? No. So, it's not a bad theory. I, I I'm kind of liking it now that we've thought about it, but I can't say yes. That's exactly what's going on because. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> uh, our next question comes from our good friend 6K. Question for Love Watch. Varisa and Ronan, Thrall and Agralon, Alex Straz on the entire Red Dragon flight, Anduin and Bane, obviously Azeroth is for lovers, with Cupid's arrow having struck again in the short A Moment in Verse. Who do you think is next to jump on that uh, love rocket for two? Is it Malak? Is it Burglemurgle? Or is the Grand Inquisitor Isselin looking pretty keen? Uh, there has been a whole lot of, like... I, we talked about this before. For all of Warcraft's time, there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, good coupling over the years. There's been a handful. Um, and we're finally getting another one with... And we'll talk about this a little bit more, too, with the next question. But uh, a moment in verse was this sort of moment where we see Lothramar become human or, or succumb to emotion, I guess would be the best way to put it. Show his vulnerable side, not be just a ranger general, ranger general or a regent or, or anything like that. Just be a person. Uh, and it was sort of this really cool moment. We don't have a whole lot of those in, in Warcraft history. Um, we've had some, not a whole lot. Most of them end up with tragedy or, or some such. Um, as far as like who potentially could be next on the list of NPCs uh, that could possibly like wind up in love with each other, I honestly don't think they've done a whole lot with that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we're we're really primed to see a whole heck of a lot of uh, romance going into to Shadowlands. I don't know about you. Oh, you meant me, the other person yep. on this show. Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> hmm. I mean, obviously, Sylvanas and uh, Nathanos got their moment. And as somebody who really, really does not like Nathanos Maris, I mean, and when I say that, I mean, I personally do not like him as as a person. I don't, I'm not saying he's a bad character. I actually think he's kind of a hilarious character at times. But I viscerally think he's a jerk. Now, that being said, I think that the, the resolution of their long, tortured relationship is actually pretty interesting. Because it's an awful lot of, you know, what might have been and the ruins of what might have been and all they have left. If that makes sense, like, you know, he doesn't, they're never going to get to be whatever they were going to be. Like, there was, there was a lot going on. When you look at the story when, when, Nathan, when uh, Nathanos gets essentially upgraded from standard Forsaken to his current model, they actually did a short story about it. And one of the things you see is that, you know, before all this went down, before the, the plague, before everything, he and Sylvanas definitely had something happening. And it was it was deeply frowned upon by her people. Like, they did not like this. They, they, her, Sylvanas, see, seemingly favoring this human, th there was a, a lot of negatives thought about it. I mean, th I think Kael'thas directly got into it with Sylvanas. Yep. About how it was like beneath her station and whatever. And she was like, as long as I'm in charge, you know, he'll be in the group. 
he'll be a, he'll be a, a member of of the Far Striders. So that's something that I thought was interesting that they put that at the end of of Battle for Azeroth, the bit where she like when she's. I guess she leaves the horde. You could say she leaves the horde when she sends him off, and he says, "You know, he calls her my love." Yeah, that's no a longer, big deal. Not, yeah, not my queen, not my you know my leader. Nothing, nothing of that sort of like deference. My love. That is a very deliberate choice. And so that's interesting, and that's love, Sylvanas or hater, love the Forsaken story or hate it. You can't ignore how big. A move that is how how big a, a shift it is in lore, to have him just come out and admit it, that he loves her, and it is that love has endured through death, through the loss of his mind, because he, he for a while he was a mindless undead, and she went and found him, and basically tore him back into having something like a mind. So there's and think about what that means. She didn't go find him just because she needed someone to kill people for her. She had plenty of people willing to kill for her. And she didn't go get him because she needed a champion. She could have gotten a champion from anybody. She went and got him because he is important to her, even if he she's no longer capable of expressing it. Uh, and that I, I think this will tie into another there's another question we have this week that uh, that touches upon her as a character that I, I've I'll, I have some things to address on that so I think this will come back but I definitely think the Sylvanas and a Thanos relationship is is extremely important mm-hmm. to what's coming because it's very revelatory of both of their character when you get right down to it so I, I'm going to say that one there are others I could mention um I think that there's a little bit, I don't know, in, in Battle for Azeroth itself, there's a little bit between Talanji and Rokan. Yeah, a little bit. Not not a whole lot, though. No, a little bit. And I think they might be pushing a, a Zappy Boy there and Talanji together in the novel. Uh, I kind of hope I'm wrong, quite frankly. Uh, and I'm going to just say that I would, I'm going to, feel it's 2020, guys, and it's Pride Month as we're recording this. It is time to get some, you know, let have Khagar date a guy. I mean, you know, just get some get some representation in there. You do it in in Overwatch. You know, get get some WoW characters up into this. Get, get and I don't want to hear that it's medieval fantasy. I don't want to hear this tokenism. I just don't want to hear it. Just there's really just no excuse it. not to have it. Yeah, it's just you know, for God's sakes, we've got. We've got poems going back to like you know, freaking ancient Near East, of roman- of like passionate romantic love between you know men between women, just, ugh. but yeah, I don't have any suggestions there. Quite frankly, maybe you should make some new characters. Uh, there's there's been a shocking lack of new characters, um, and you haven't even used some of the really cool ones you made up, like Joanna Blueheart. He has not come back since Cataclysm. Mm-hmm. She's right there. I don't know what you're doing, guys, but she's right there. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm done. Yeah, but I I agree. I agree that there, if we're going to have anything more with romance, we should start looking all over the place and start having more diverse romances. It is again 2020, uh, as Matt pointed out. It's time. It's beyond time. Uh, our next one is a little bit longer, uh, and it is going to start with uh, the Adder. Uh, which is a poem written by Lothramar in the most recent story, A Moment in Verse. The Adder. Consider the Adder, its poison weak. No threat to the strong, fangs and bite mere show. Its colors kingly raiment, yet it seeks. Prey in the shadows and dark places low. So when it strikes the victim deep in woe, a wounded soul or body near to death, the poison comes on wings of swift sorrow. Behold now the coy adder's truest theft of the small and tired, the young, the bereft. A moment's weakness, the end of the bold, the impossible arrow, unkindly deft, and fletched like the snake in crimson and gold. So beware the humble little adder, lest it bite you when it cruelly matters. Greetings. Consider the poem's meaning. 
from my perspective. Ver uh, Lothamar's pain is not because of the Legion corrupting Kale. He so clearly identifies the High Elves as his people. He speaks about Kale's betrayal as a bite from a snake at their weakest point, the moment they became Blood Elves. Whilst alienating the High Elves, who had other means and did not need to resort to siphoning mana from creatures, exiling, ex exiling them instead, he looked like a king. At first, because he was never king of the High Elves, he only looked like it. His anger with himself for following his prince, blindly knowing that he would learn that without the support of the Blood Elves, they would fall prey to attacks from the Horde. The actual betrayal was twofold. One, by leading them into the Path of Damnation. Remember, that was Kale who corrupted the Naru and stole the Naru ships. And uh, and using Fell to rebuild quicker. And two, by leaving the High Elves with no support. They had to go back to the Alliance. Furthermore, I think he's trying to open the door to reconciling with the High Elves, but only the ones who do not follow the Void. I think it also shows his disdain for the Void Elves at the same time, which is fascinating because he implies that the betrayal was that the Path chosen by his prince and anyone going against the path of light would be seen as traitors. This really opens up the door for any high elves who choose the path of light to come back home. I also sense that this is the opinion shared by the leading class of the blood elves as well. Leandrin has no problem with working with anyone who follows the path of light as we see her adamant positive feelings towards the Draenei and her willingness to accept other races path into the light so readily. Uh, Uthos from Proudmoore. So that's a lot uh, to get out of that poem, and I think that there are some points that are good and some points that are probably a little bit of a stretch. I don't think this is an open invitation for reconciling with the High Elves. Um, I think that it's more focused on the betrayal of Kel and how they were sort of ripped out of their position and place and everything they learned and loved and sort of had everything sort of fall apart. And that's sort of, to me, that that moment where he talks like lest it bite you when it cruelly matters. Kale's betrayals came at these like key points every single time, every single time Kale was weak or did something out that, that was self-serving or whatever the case is. It was always at the point where the blood elves suffered the most from it, right? Whether it was the corruption of the fell energies, the uh, stealing of the ships, everything, everything, uh, even going through to working with their one time, uh, now most hated enemy, you know, trying to work with Illidan, which they were supposed to hate. That was, that was supposed to be a key thing for, for Kalthas, you know? Uh, all these little tiny things. You, you things, mean going to war for Kill Jaden? Or Kill Jaden, excuse me. Yeah. And okay. working. Yep. Thank you. Um, but it's that, that whole that whole sliding scale thing for him, right? Like, he just didn't care about his people and that's the ultimate betrayal it was all these little things that led up to it it's oh i'm gonna lead us into this new dawn nope sorry we're gonna use fell energy now i'm gonna lead us into this new dawn yeah kill jane seems pretty cool i'm gonna go work with him now like it's all these moments of of like it's the standard politician thing it's standing up and promising something and then not only not delivering it but taking the rug out of your people's feet uh and that's sort of what i think the poem is is just Lothamar believed in Kalthas. He bought into Kalthas. He bought into everything that he was selling for the good of his people. And then look what happened. And if you look at his character, that's been pretty evident throughout it. It's He doesn't want to betray his people. He doesn't want to leave his people behind because he knows what that feels like. But he's also second-guessing almost everything he's done since Burning Crusade because, well... Here's this history of, of people in leadership, people that I trusted, who I had no idea what was going to happen. And, well, let's see. Let, here's here's everything that happened from there. So I could see this is more just the manifestation of him finally coming to grips with the fact this is why I'm hurt. This is why I feel so out of place. This is why I don't take my title as king or ruler of the Blood Elves. He's still the regent lord. And I think that's more it. Um I don't see anything in here about opening the door for the High Elves, but I could see him as a person in things that he's talked about in the rest of that story uh, being open to allowing others from those societies in because I think he wants to start trying to heal the wounds, but I don't think it's part of the poem. I think it's part of his discussion of the poem with the first Arcanist. That's when you start to get sort of that inkling. Uh, that he, I think he wants to bridge the gap with the High Elves just a little bit. So, 
don't know. What do you think of the poem, if anything? I think you pretty much hit all the salient points. I think in general... Okay. The problem is, of course, that you have your real-life experience sometimes colors your reading of things. Um, I think that, that Lorthamar is really, really keen to distance himself from the actions of Kael'thas. Mm-hmm. Because that's a poison. He, but he can't, because he's directly responsible for half of them. Um, Lorthamar is... He was a staunch loyalist. He did whatever Kael'thas told him to do. When Kael'thas sent him an enslaved Naru, Lorthamar installed it in Silvermoon City and countenanced its torture for months. And that's that's not a hyperbole. That's what the Blood Knights did. The fact that it, the Naru forgave them for it does not change the fact that they did it. They tortured it and stole its life essence for months and months and months. And Lorthamar was responsible. He said, that's a great idea. So was Ramath. Ramath's the guy that brought it. So I'm not trying to say that Lorthamar was the most responsible, but he was responsible because he, he did it just because Kael'thas told him to do it. And that's just one thing. So when Kael'thas betrayed Lorthamar personally is when he then sent a group of fell elves to steal the Naru back. And he did so. He didn't ask for the, the Naru back. He didn't contact Lorthamar and say, give him back now. I need him. Because then he might have had to explain what he was doing. And that's the thing. By this point, Lorthamar was starting to hear about some of the stuff that the Horde was finding out. Because the Horde at this point had sent back people, including Blood Elves, to Outland. And they'd found out that Kael'thas had, he had been working with Illidan, but now he was suddenly taking things for himself and possibly working for Kil'jaeden. And all that was out there. Like, there, the Scryers had made contact at this point. So the Blood Elves knew that there, was, there were Blood Elves in, in Outland who were turned against Kael'thas because he was working with the Legion. And so he would have had to explain what he was doing. Instead of explaining, he attacked and stole the Naru and left the, the Blood Knights without a power source. And that's the point where Lorthamar finally turned against him. He didn't turn against him all during that time. He turned against him when he got directly attacked by him. Mm -hmm. So, And that's important because it means... Lorthamar's conception of the betrayal is a personal one. It's not, you did all these things that I recognized were wrong. It's, you did all these things that I recognized were wrong, and then you did them to me. I'm sitting here in your city. I'm regent lord because I'm your regent. And that's important. When, when he started, when Lorthamar started as regent lord, he was regent in Kael'thas' name. Kael'thas is was the ruler. Kael'thas was the nominal monarch of the Blood Elves. For all that he never took the title of king, he, he was Anisterian's son. He was the, the next one in the line of succession. He was their ruler. And when he, he decided, our people are now the Blood Elves, and he, it was, again, these are all things that happened and Lorthamar was, was fine with them. It was only when the, you know, the, it turned on him that he changed his opinion of Kael'thas. And that's very, I think that's very much in the song, in the poem, the, the idea of, you know, he, his, it's cruelest because it, you know, it happens at the moment of your, your, your most vulnerable moment. He was most vulnerable because he had no reason not to trust Kael'thas. Why wouldn't he? He was Kael'thas's regent. He was ruling Silvermoon in Kael'thas's name. Why wouldn't Kael'thas simply, you know, contact them? Why wouldn't he explain? Because what he was doing was was something that he knew even his own people wouldn't support. The only ones he trusted were the ones he'd already turned to to, to kill Jaden's side, the ones from Tempest Keep, the ones that were so loyal to Kael'thas that they would work with the Legion directly. 
on his say-so. That's, to me, a very important part of Lorthamar's personality. Lorthamar is always that guy, and that's why he questions himself now. Because he's aware that he was that person. I think that's a really interesting aspect of his character. That's one of the reasons like, when you find out that he had actually considered working with Varian, that Varian Rin had almost got him to leave the Horde mm-hmm. back in, and that's, we're talking Mr. Pandaria when we find that out. That makes sense that Lorthamar would have considered it because he always, he'll always be the guy who doesn't necessarily trust the people above him anymore. In any hierarchy he's in, he's always going to be suspicious because when he trusted, the last time he trusted somebody blindly, he attacked Silvermoon and took the Naru away. And that's, you know, Kael'thas had no need to do that. Kael'thas could simply have showed up and asked for it, except then what would have happened? They would have seen him. We, you, we saw Kael'thas in Magister's Terrace. He had a big crystal shard of fell energy sticking out of his chest. He was clearly not himself any longer. He was clearly corrupted by the Legion. And his people were willing to do a lot. They were willing to exploit the Legion. They were willing to steal magical energy from fell creatures. They absolutely were willing to do that. They were willing to steal it. But they were not willing to beg for it. Because it was the Legion's fault what happened to them in the first place. And that's... I think that's always going to be a part of Lorthamar's character. And I don't think he's particularly opening the door and welcoming the, the High Elves as much as he's willing to come to a peaceful resolution of problems with them. Mm-hmm. Because he, he went along with that whole We're the Blood Elves now thing. He bought into everything Kael'thas was selling, even when Kael'thas was doing morally questionable things like torturing a being of pure light. Now, and I that's, think that's, that's something I think really you, you have to look at everything he does now from the lens of somebody who went that far and then got turned on. Because he, he, that's the thing. That's, the betrayal is personal. It's not just, I love my people and you did bad things to my people. It's, I loved you and you did this to me. Now, I think that's my reading anyway. I was going to say, I think this partially bleeds into a little bit of the next question as well. Uh, So I was thinking we can kind of jump into there and give a little background as well because uh, Fernite asked. Uh, G'day, Watchers. This is probably a Lore Watch question, but I don't mind who nabs it. So, I just read the new short story about Lothamar and Thalrissa, Squee. Uh, So cute. About time they got together. But I realize I don't really know anything about Kale Thos. We already know he's going to have some storyline in Shadowlands, so I guess it piqued my interest. I don't really have a question, because I don't know what to ask about, but could you do your awesome rambling thing and talk about his history and what happened between him and Lothermar, your oceanic friend, Fernite, the Belf Priest of Sarfang? Uh, so shout out to the oceanic servers. Uh, I, I know that a lot of you all came out in force in the emails, and thank you for educating me, by the way. Um, but yeah, what did you do about what did you do to Oceanic servers? Jeff? I thought because I I thought that Oceanic servers were separate from North America servers. I did not realize that they were all looped together. Uh, so the Oceanic players were very nice actually, uh, and just said no, we're we're all together. Just most of them apparently play Alliance. So go figure. <laughs> um, but Kalthos, there's a lot there, so I'm going to summarize a little bit, give Matt a, a chance to take a breather, uh, and then we can see what Matt has to say about it. But he uh, he was the son of Anasarian's son, Sunstrider. He's the last of that line. Uh, Anasarian was the king of Quel'Thalas. Uh, he was a very powerful mage. Uh, he was a member of the Six, uh, which was the Shadow High Council of the Kirin Tor. Uh, and like he was just like a super powerful, super the way I likened him back then is that he was always presented as sort of like the my dad owns a dealership kind of guy where he was like super important and knew it and he always had this sort of air of cockiness about him because he was a very powerful mage. His father was super important uh, and then kind of just sort of carried over into his personality. Um, Let's see. 
trying to think what else to, to really go with his early times. Uh, he uh, we, Matt already brought this up, but he did have issues with uh, Nathaniel Maris being admitted to the Firestriders. Took it up personally with Sylvanas. He demanded that she dismiss Nathanos from the Ranger Corp, uh, Corps despite... Uh, Despite this, you know, Sylvanas obviously did not do that because, well, she's her own person. Uh, and despite his status as the royal prince and a member of, of the Council of Six, he really didn't have that much power, I guess would be the best way to put it. Like, politically, like, he could do a bunch of stuff, but, like, he was very much like, oh, that's just, he's just a, a spoiled prince, whatever, go on with it. Um, there was a time where he was very, very interested uh, in Jaina Proudmore and competed with Arthas for her uh, and for her attention and affection, uh, which is part of the reason why he took such a immediate uh, umbrage with Arthas and was so keen to try to go after him at several points. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of his early years. What else would you add to that? I mean, one of the reasons that he didn't have a lot of power at home was that Anastarian was, was an incredibly strong king who was, there was no reason to think his reign was going to end anytime soon. Um, we're not sure exactly how Anastarian fit into the Sunstrider bloodline in terms of the first Sunstrider king was Dathramar. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know how many kings there have been. There's, there's no, there's no sources that tell you how long Dathramar lived. Uh, but considering that even before the, uh, the 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 bargain with the dragons and the immortality um, there's like a, there's a, there's evidence that Ashara's reign was easily 2,000 years and she was still considered relatively young it's quite possible night elves lived to be like you know they might have lived 10,000 years without the immortality from the tree let me put it that way we don't know how long their the maximum lifespan of an elf is so we don't know if Anastarian was Dathramar's son or grandson, he's probably not his great-grandson. Let me put it that way. At most, they've had four kings. So, Kael'thas didn't intend to rule anytime soon. He was on the six purely because he was an incredibly skilled magician. Um, and he was there because he was his people's representative amongst the Kirin Tor, because the Kirin Tor was created by the pact between the High Elves and humans that showed hum that's how humans learn magic in the first place uh the the, uh, the high elves taught it to them and in return the humans joined the war against the trolls that kept them from taking over when the it looked like the amani trolls were finally gonna beat the high elves and take back the forests that you know quailthalos was built in that troll war was uh, i think roughly a thousand years ago give or take i'm not yeah. sure yeah and that was the deal. Anastarian was the one who made the deal with the humans that, you know, in return for this, he would give them magic and he would owe a personal debt to the bloodline of the Arathi kings, which is how the, the High Elves got dragged into the first, I mean, into the second war in the first place. And so Kael'thas basically was, it wasn't necessarily that he was spoiled so much as he was, if you look nowadays, if you look at like you know the royal the royal family of England and uh, Prince Charles's sons, they're not really powerful. Not that they you know the royalty is different, but they're not considered. They're not the king, and they're not. They're in line to be king, but they're not currently ruling. We they have a ruler. If that ruler was to pass on, Charles would then be king, and they both have to die in order for one of them to be king. Nobody was waiting for Kael'thas to take the throne. It wasn't expected to happen anytime soon. So when the scourge happened and Anastarian died, it was a shock. Anastarian was a very powerful mage with thousands of years of experience. And they beat, not only had they held off the Horde in the Second War, keep that in mind, they'd beaten the Horde in the Second War. They kept them out of Silvermoon. He'd been doing this kind of thing for thousands of years. He knew how to defend Silvermoon. Nobody expected Arthas to come marching up with an army of the undead and, and kill everybody. They weren't even sure what was going on in, Lord, in, Lortham, in, in Lordaeron when Arthas marched forth into Silvermoon. 
the, the, the Kieran Tor did not even understand what was actually happening until after that it all happened. So there's Kael'thas, who's, who's in Dalaran, doing his job as a member of the Council of Six, trying to figure out from all these disjointed reports what's going on in Lordaeron, and then suddenly his city has been destroyed and his father is dead. So he had to go and become ruler of a, of a shattered kingdom where like the greatest heroes had died, including his father, the king, including like the, 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 well, the wielder of, of Queldalar, including Sylvanas herself, who was like, you know, the ranger general and who has to be given credit. She, she held off much longer than anyone thought she'd be able to. And it was just like, and don't forget that he also had to deal with this, with coming into this position with the corruption of the Sunwell at the hands of Arthas as well. Yeah, and he had to actually be the one to destroy it because they left the Sunwell polluted. They didn't destroy it. They left it polluted. When he came back, he found that the Sunwell was now tainted with the, the, the Scourge, essentially, and it was going to kill his people. It was going do to do to them what the Scourge had done to everything in their path. It was gonna, if, if they were lucky, they'd die. If they were unlucky, they'd turn into undead monstrosities. So he had to actually destroy it. Yeah, him, him, Romath, and Astalor had to get together and completely destroy the Sunwell, the source of his people's life essence, essentially, which then caused them to go into a, a huge withdrawal, which we've seen, like, we saw from the orcs and we saw from uh, even in Legion when we saw what happens with the nightborn when they don't consume from their well how they become withered and, and things like that that was starting to happen to his people all like and this is when he starts taking over and starts taking control um also during that time like i believe he that's also shortly after that is when he returned to dalaran and like i remember jaina trying to console him and him throwing back in her face that she had chosen such a monster over him that he basically wrote off humans at that point. He wrote off the Alliance because he was so bitter at everything that just happened and then bitter at this person that, you know, in, in typical e-boy fashion, like, oh, you shouldn't chose me, so this is all your fault too and blah, blah, blah. Like, there was some weird high emotional stuff that happened there. And this is, and, and I believe, I'm trying to think what happened directly after that. Well, first thing is he, he gets the silver moon. Um, he has to see his father's corpse, and he tells his father straight up, I'm not king. You are. Um, and that's why he didn't take the title of, of, of being king. Uh, there's the, the bit about destroying the Sunwell. They, they had to wipe, they had to basically destroy it because they, they couldn't save it, essentially. They they had the thing where he, what, he, what Joe just mentioned about keep in mind that the the Kael'thas had already left the alliance, mm -hmm. but Kael'thas was in a position where he had to rejoin the alliance, or at least what was called the remnants of the alliance. He basically made an alliance with people like Garethos. I don't know if you guys know who Garethos was, but he's basically um, he hated the elves, didn't he? I hated everybody. But he, he blamed the elves for leaving the alliance in the first place. Uh, that, you know, if they hadn't left the alliance, if they hadn't... He, he basically blamed them for, you know, what had happened. Because if they had stayed in the alliance, the alliance would have stayed strong and this wouldn't have happened. I don't know what, what Garethos would think. Garethos was just a big old racist. Let's not mince words. Uh, Garethos began trying to basically get the, the blood elves killed. Because Kael'thas was leading a contingent of blood elves as part of this deal with the alliance to try and get vengeance on the Scourge. And Garethos was essentially throwing them like red meat to their deaths. He was just trying to get them killed. This ultimately ended up with Kael'thas meeting Lady Vash, who was with Illidan at the time and was offering her help to them because as, as high elves, they were descended from the, the highborn. And the highborn had been kind of the, the, the it's really interesting. The, the, the Naga are basically highborn servants of Ashara. Mm -hmm. Whereas the high elves were highborn who turned against Ashara. They were like, um, Dathramar was like, yeah, you, you're going too far now when you want to like turn the world over to big demons. 
ah, we're going to have to side with the peasants. We, you know, we, we feel weird about this because they're peasants and we're like nobility like you, but we really don't want to live in a world where big flaming green demons are just constantly raining from the sky. It's just really disrupting all the garden parties we want to have where we drink magic wine. So yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I'd love to be at your party next week, but I am going to be throwing lightning at you now. Um, and so the, she basically tried to uh, appeal to his sense of common origin. He was like, "Yee, Naga, I don't know. But when Garethos was like, ha you finally proved you're working with a Naga. I'll kill you all because you didn't have the courtesy to die when I sent you into an absolutely untenable position where you were supposed to get killed. Garethos was like, all right, you know what? The snake people at least aren't trying to get me killed constantly. So that's when he broke with the Alliance. And I... You cannot argue he wasn't justified, uh, and he made his you know his deal with with Vash, and thus and there's a lot more to this. There's a whole deal where he and uh, he ran into Taranda and and Malfurion, and he was actually quite polite to them, and they were like, "Oh wow, you guys turned pink. That's weird." Um, but eventually, he ended up teaming up with Vash. Vash introduced him to Illidan. When they, they went to Outland together and they found Illidan and Illidan was like, okay, you're having this problem with, with you know, magic, right? You're kind of, you're slowly withering away and dying. And, you've, you know, Kel'thas was like, yes, that is indeed the problem that I'm presenting to you. He's like, I got an idea for you. I have this source of, ma- there's a source of magic in in the uh, Black Temple that the, 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 uh, the evil horde and the Legion have been hoarding. And it's totally going to work to help you guys. And we can use it to, to come just completely cure all of you. And so, you know, Kael'thas was like, great. That sounds like a great idea. And what am I going to do? He's like, well, you're going to help me. We're going to, we're going to close all these portals and we're going to get rid of the Legion. But first, here's how to steal power from demons. So that you and you guys don't go nuts before we get there. That sound okay? He was like, well, I don't know, but, you know, my people are dying, so all right, I'll take that. And that's where, oh, you know what? This ties into what that guy said before. Yes, it does. I had forgotten about this. So, so yeah, he does know how to do this. So Illidan taught them how to do this. And so they went forth, and they, they disrupted the various portals, and they defeated the Legion. And Illidan immediately went back on his word and did not, in fact, use that incredibly powerful arcane source in the basement of the Black Temple to help the Blood Elves, because he was saving it for his plan to destroy the Legion entirely. And, and don't forget, also during this time, as Illidan is starting to uh, build up his sort of demon hunter army, because now we know that this is what was happening, thanks to the Illidan book and as you know, the things that happened in Legion as well, as our, our prequel stuff, uh, the people, the, the Blood Elves that Kael'thas brought with him to Outland... Now, this is only 15% of the Blood Elven people or, or something like that. Uh, they start abandoning Kael'thas to become demon hunters. Like, this is another thing that starts weighing on him. Because, like, not only did he start brokering all these deals, not only did, you know, he figure out, you know, through Illidan how to consume some of this fell energy so that his people get to keep going uh, and, you know, do their things. Then he gets this double betrayal, right? His people are abandoning him to become demon hunters, and then they go through, and Illidan gets this arcane source, and it's just like, nope, you can't use it. Sorry, I need it for this big project I'm working on over here. Didn't I tell you about that? Swore I told you about that. One hundred percent told you about that. So, like, and you know, there's there's a lot more to this. Like, you know, he was already kind of un, you know unsatisfied with Illidan. Then Illidan goes and decides to you know he makes a deal with Kil'jaeden, and we gotta remember that. Illidan doesn't want necessarily to make this deal, but Kil'jaeden shows up and says, hey, that that demonic power you're rocking, you got that from us, and you owe us, and I am tired. You know, I can kill you right now. Or you can do what I tell you to do and kill this thing I can't get to, this Lich King that used to be my thing and is not doing what I want anymore. I want it destroyed you can make that happen. You make that happen, and I will share the power of the Legion with you. If you don't make that happen, I will squash you like a bug. You think being on this world saves you? No, you are, you're in, you are in the Twisting Nether, my friend. I can get here. I can physically come here and kill you. 
And so Illidan being Illidan, because, you know, there's a reason that both Illidan and Kill Jaden are often called the Betrayer. Uh, these guys betray a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of in the title there. Yeah. So they, they both, you know, they make a deal where each is planning to betray the other. Kill, you know, Kael'thas sees him do this, sees him go after. You know, the whole reason that he first met Illidan is because Illidan tried to kill the Lich King using an artifact called the Eye of Sargeras. That's how the whole thing with Tyrande getting almost killed and Malfurion coming after and that whole thing where, where Kil'jaeden, where uh, Kel'thas first met them, was because of that. Now Illidan's making an attack straight on the Frozen Throne. He's just going up there and he brings Kil'jaeden, he brings Kel'thas with him. And, you know, Kel'thas goes after Arthas, gets his sword broke, doesn't kill him successfully, loses several of his people in that attack as well. That's where um, Blood Queen Lanathel and the San Lane come from. They were followers of, of Kael'thas who get left behind when Illidan fails to kill him. Mm -hmm. At this point, Kael'thas is like, what have I tied myself to? I, I joined up with this guy because he was going to help me save my people. Absolutely none of his promises have paid off. The only thing he's done for us is he's taught me how to basically use demons the way vampires in Vampire the Masquerade use rats as a not as good alternative. Like we were, we were drunk on the finest arcane font of power in the world. Now we're sucking on demons which, to stay which alive. Is, which is also partially what led Kel'thas to sort of taking over Tempest Keep, right? Like, oh, exactly. Cause that's the thing. He, he like, he needed, he the needed mana a power. He needed a power source of his own. He needed a place that he could control. So he basically decides, well, while, while, He's, you know, he's lost, say, about, I don't think, I don't know if it's even 10%, but he's lost a lot of his people to, to kill, um, Illidan's demon hunter thing. He's, he, they're off doing that. He's got some people who've gone completely nuts doing that. He leaves those people behind. He takes his loyalist people and he invades what's now Netherstorm. And they, they go and they go straight to Tempest Keep and they attack. Yep. And they mind and overcoming all the defenders, which the, includes uh, Muru. Muru well, the thing is, is Muru is there, but most of the Naru and most of the Draenei had left. Like, Tempest Keep was left relatively undefended because mm -hmm. they didn't expect anyone to attack them in the Netherstorm. They, they were, like, trying to reclaim Shatrath, and they didn't expect to get attacked by Blood Elves. Like, the, if they were going to get attacked, they figured we'd get attacked by demons, not by Blood Elves. Why would the Blood Elves even attack us? You know, at this point in time, they didn't know... That the, they didn't really know that the Blood Elves were working directly for Illidan and that Illidan was going to attack them. They thought Illidan was an enemy to the Legion based on his actions. So they attack. They manage to take over all but the, uh, I want to say, it's the Exodar, right? Yeah, it's the Exodar. Everything but the Exodar. The Exodar escapes, um, but everything else gets taken by them. I mean, obviously the prison gets taken. They, they take the, the Architraz. Mechanar, they get those, and they take Tempest Keep, the eye, the eye itself, the central part of the keep. And when they do that, you know, Muru is there. And so Kael'thas is like, okay, we can work with this. I'm going to send him back to Silvermoon, and they can just drain him, and, and they'll use him as a mana battery. That'll work. And so he basically sends him off with Ramath. But then once he's actually got Tempest Keep under his control, he's like, but there's all this arcane power here in Netherstorm. I can start drawing on that. And that's where they build the, the Mana Forges. And you see them drawing the, the arcane energy of Netherstorm. That's what they're doing with it. They're drawing can, power. So, If you go into the hmm? instances, if you go into those dungeons, you see the things that look like the Energod cubes from the old Transformers cartoons. That's what those are. And yeah, the, he's a, he actually starts sending them back to Silvermoon at one point. Yeah, or, or stockpiling them. You see that when Both. you get there to actually raid them, he's stockpiling them at that point. But this is around the time that, that Kil'jaeden contacts him. And Kil'jaeden is not bad at his job. Like, we've beaten him recently, so we may think that, you know, oh, yeah, well, Kil'jaeden, he sucks. But the, the fact is, is Kil'jaeden knows how to play people. And he goes to Kil'thas and he's like, look, you hate me. I get it. Of course you hate me. But here's the thing. Look at your people right now. Look at what's happening. I, I can give you the power you need to save them and preserve them. 
I mean, and all you have to do is join the Legion, which is all we want from anybody. We just want you to join us. Listen, we're, we're trying to fix the universe. We can fix you, too. Yeah. And it's it took him a little while. But, you know, comparing to the fact, like, Illidan wasn't really focused on Kael'thas. He thought Kael'thas was a done deal. He didn't have to worry about Kael'thas. Kael'thas, however, very much wasn't a done deal. He was very much, I'm trying to save my people, and you keep giving me the runaround. So he eventually made the deal with, with Kill Jaden. All right, I'll betray Illidan to you. And to a certain degree, it's, this didn't really surprise Illidan, but it was not necessarily... That's the thing, is he'd already kind of written Kael'thas off as not important to his plan. He was willing to sacrifice the entirety of the Blood Elves. Yeah. Except for the ones who were directly working for him as Demon Hunters. And even them, he wasn't really focusing on. The Demon Hunters themselves, he was kind of treating as second-class... They were like there to, to participate in his plans, but he wasn't sharing all his plans with them because he had that whole uh, plan to go and like you know destroy the Legion portal network and attack the one world where they they kept their greatest secrets, the Mardum planet, where all the, the demon prison had originally been. He had this whole thing going on, and he wasn't the Illidan's biggest problem as a leader has always been he is absolutely terrible at getting people on board because he doesn't bother to explain to them what he's doing. And that's what happened here with Kael'thas. So we then go through all of, of Burning Crusade. Kael'thas is shown at first to, to still be thinking about his people. He sends the, the, the Naru Muru to Silvermoon. Then you go through all the Outland stuff and you find out that Kael'thas has seized control of the Naru Fortress, the Tempest Keep. And when you get to the end, you find out that he's working with demons. Because there's demons all over Tempest Keep. Like when there's a, there's even a, a one of those giant fell pit you know giant robots is in the it's actually in Tempest Keep yeah, fell, straight up one of the fell reavers fell reaver. yeah yeah so yeah things are not good and and he has a whole speech when you fight him and you beat him and you take one of his verdant orbs and you think yeah we've done it we've defeated him and you go back to to Shatrath with it you give it to the uh, Naru and then he just like Kel Jaden appears not Kel Jaden uh, Kelthas appears you want to go from here because I've been talking for a while. No, you, I mean, we're, we're, I think we're, the biggest problem we have is there, there's a lot to cover with Kalthos, right? Um, there's a lot that we could keep going through. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the most salient points are. Uh, it's after his defeats, like, we defeat him in Tempest Keep, right? And he gets saved at the last minute. I think it was Delrissa, it was a Blood Elf Priest. Uh, saves him at the last second. Then you get this image of him that appears in uh, Shatrath, which just like completely is being cocky and berates Adolf for not finishing the job, not finishing him off. And then we, that's where Magister's Terrace comes in, and we go into Magister's Terrace where we see that not only did he survive, but he survived basically by shoving a giant fell crystal through his chest. So he is essentially powered through demonic means at this point and still has a ton of demonic followers like if you go into magister's terrace there's m as many demons as there are uh blood elves rolling around not nearly as much as in the sunwell area but pretty close uh and then eventually we, we finally kill him we we you know defeat him take him off and, and and murder him uh and then that's supposed to be the last we hear of him uh which is now the news starts traveling of this grand betrayal of everything that happened. Uh, because, again, a lot of the people back home, they didn't know what was going on. The, the Blood Elves back home, Lothramar and them, didn't know what was happening in Outland. They just knew that their prince was doing what he needed to do to save their people. You know, look, he loves us. He sent us a Naru to drain. Oh, it's real. It's a shame we lost them with the, you know, they, they got stolen from us. Oh, look, there's all these wonderful... Uh, crates of man magic mana batteries that we can then sup on. Uh, he still loves us. He still cares about us. And then all the news starts coming back of everything that happens. And it's sort of this this ultimate betrayal moment where uh, all of Quel'Thalas uh, is, is just in shock at everything. He's working with demons. He's He did all this. He orchestrated the, the, the incursion that stole back the, the Naru from us. He's the reason that all this happened. And that's where we go into that moment where we talked about earlier about these ultimate betrayals. Um, and his death is sort of like this unhappy end of the Sunstrider dynasty 
which sort of then leaves this shadow over everything that that the the elves of Silvermoon have done for generations, which then leads us into the Shadowlands now, where now we see him in his Revendreth form. I don't know what he's doing there yet. I don't know what his arc is there, but now his arc is going to continue. Is he going through a moment of, of cycle of redemption? Is he there to keep Revendreth going? What What is his motivations now? What is his... Does he know what he did? Uh, does he have remorse for what he did? Because you go through like his... I call it like the butcher's bill of everything he's done. He's done a lot of really terrible things. And he's made a lot of terrible deals and he thought he was doing them maybe at some point for some of the right reasons, but he's just made some really terrible choices. And like the TLDR, that's kind of Kalthas's story. He just continues to make bad choices. Is Revendreth going to be just another bad choice uh, or a series of bad choices with what he's been given as what a fourth chance now out of, out of all these times he's been saved and, and, Reborn, and the interesting thing is going to be what happens when Lorthamar sees him. Like, how is that going to play out? What is that going to mean? How is that going to be? Because I, I don't think that going back to like the Adder poem, that's not a coincidence. That's not just oh, he's just coming to terms with it now. It seems like it's going to be somewhat foreshadowing for the when these two meet again in Shadowlands, in, in in Revendreth, when they come face-to-face, what's going to happen? Is Kalthas going to apologize? Is he going to have any remorse for what he did? Is Lothamar just going to try to murder him and take his anima? Don't know. Uh, any final thoughts on Kalthas? No, I think we've pretty much covered it. I mean, we could talk about it all day, but... There's so much between all the books and all the Warcraft RTS games. I mean, we could do a special entirely on Kalthos if you guys wanted to, but I think we've covered it quite a bit right now. <laughs> uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcasts, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. So thank you very much for joining us for yet another week of wonderful questions. Please keep sending them in. Again, podcast at blizzardwatch.com uh, or any of our uh, channels on our Discord server dedicated to questions for the Q or podcasts. And we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.